Welcome to this week's Lancet podcast. It's January 23rd, 2018. I'm Gavin Cleaver. And today we're looking forward and we're talking about what we hope can be achieved in the rest of 2018, as well as talking a bit about what happened in 2017. And for this kind of chat, I couldn't hope to be joined by anyone better than our own editor-in-chief, Dr. Richard Horton. Richard, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Gavin. Good to be here. So, quickly then, looking back at 2017, what were your kind of global health highlights? Uh, I think the highlights in 2017, I could break them down into two broad categories, the incredibly optimistic and the totally depressing. Let's get rid of the totally depressing first. I can't not talk about the impact of President Trump. I hate to begin with that in some ways, but his withdrawal from the Paris Climate Agreement was such big news for those of us who've worked in global health. We have worked for, I mean, it's a decade now, in trying to make the case for the connection between health and climate. And Paris was in some ways the apotheosis of that work, um, getting 194 nations aligned behind that agenda. And one country trying to pull the rug from underneath that was depressing. Also, I have to confess that Britain's withdrawal from the vote to withdraw from the European Union was, um, I found, a, uh, a very disappointing decision, although I can understand the reasons why many people voted to leave the EU. It was disappointing, not really because of the threat to the science base and the concerns about um, funding of research, My concern about it was that in the future, um, we're only going to solve some of the most complex problems of our planet by working more closely together. And anything that destroys alliances, anything that breaks down cooperation, it seems to me, is bad. And so I was very sad about that. So in summary, a kind of divisiveness. Absolutely, a divisiveness. And, um, and, and, And that's not what we need at the moment. And then when you add on to those um, threats, issues around migration, which we've not been able to really get. I'm talking about, you know, big migration, millions of people Mm -hmm. migrating across lands and continents, the rise of populism and xenophobia in politics. These are all, you know, the, the kinds of determinants of our discussions on health, which aren't so good. But on the positive side, There was lots to um, look forward to, and I think the most exciting area for me is this dramatic change in leadership of the global system that we've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, The first African Director General of the World Health Organization is a landmark election. A new Secretary General of the United Nations um, means that we've got fresh leadership there. UNICEF, UNFPA, new leadership there. So we've got a chance for generational change in the way we think about um, how we transform international health. And that is, of course, extremely positive. And I think everybody really has started to understand the momentum behind the Sustainable Development Goals. And I really did feel that in 2017, there was an alignment around universal health coverage. Um, And that is absolutely what we need. People not just advocating for their own disease, whether it's AIDS, TB, malaria, non-communicable diseases, whatever it is, but actually recognizing that we're going to get more in global health if we work together. And that agenda is perfectly personified by UHC. I feel like you're right. I feel like there's a real momentum developing, or at least started to develop last year. And perhaps one of the things you're saying is that 
the danger is that when the US and the UK decide to re-engage with that momentum, they'll be years and years behind. They, mm. th- this divisiveness, I, I suppose, is causing them not to be the driving forces anymore. No, I think I think this is it's extremely worrying um, when you think the UN system. If we begin there, um, about twenty-five to thirty percent of the financing of the UN system comes through the United States government. When the US decides to turn its back on the UN, that means it's actually turning its back on multilateralism, and then that's a real threat to countries cooperating to solve global problems and predicaments. But the US is also the center of gravity for biomedical research, including global health research. And so if there is a, any threat to the funding base of research in the United States, that is not just a consequence for the United States, it's a consequence for the world, given the importance of the US to the world in proportionate terms. We need a strong, morally-led United States to help shape the global debate around health. And I think what we've seen in the US at the moment is chaos and a loss of confidence about that role. So I'm very worried about that. And in the UK's terms, while the UK hasn't been so dramatically affected as the US in some ways, the politics of Britain is now so consumed by Brexit, and it's going to be for the next two years. That's the, uh, the what, what is so disturbing. Yeah, it's very worrying to hear recently so much policy go on the back burner simply yeah. because the government doesn't have the bandwidth to deal with, with anything else that's happening at the moment. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, I think we underestimate the soft power importance of the United Kingdom, not just its values, but the work of its scientific and clinical communities. And while we're consumed with this divisive debate around Brexit, we're going to we're going to lose out on, on that positive influence. Now, there is a good side to that. That's going to allow other countries that have perhaps been in the shadows step forward and, and lead. It's a particular pleasure to see um, President Macron um, step forward and really put France in the driving seat internationally. When Germany reconstitutes its government. Germany can be a much bigger player. Um, We're soon to launch a series on Canada. We would love Justin Trudeau and his government to be a bigger force in in shaping global health. So there are new opportunities, but there's there's also an underlying sadness. Well, your mention of the Canada series there perfectly brings us on to to talking about the forthcoming year. So in terms of what readers of The Lancet can expect, what are you really looking forward to in, in the Lancet in 2018? 2018 is going to see a lot of uh, projects that we've been working on for several years come to fruition. Um, so it's going to be a big year, for example, um, looking at non-communicable diseases. We have a uh, series on the economics of non-communicable diseases uh, coming out this year. We have a, uh, our Commission on Investing in Health, Global Health 2035. We'll be launching a new report later in the year before the UN um, meeting to discuss um, prospects for NCDs in global health today. We're going to launch a new accountability mechanism to monitor country progress. We're going to launch two big reports on China 
um, looking at primary care in China and looking at healthy cities, air pollution being such a problem in China and environmental degradation. We're going to be looking at that. We were invited to do those two commissions by the Chinese government. Um, so they'll be coming out later. An issue that is always marginalized in global health because it's deemed to be too political, politically controversial, we're going to try and reanimate the discussion around, and that's sexual reproductive health and rights with a commission led by Anne Stars and Alex Eze. Um, that will be launched later this year. And then a very difficult area, which in some ways doesn't seem to have a global health connection, but... Um, we are going to argue it has an enormous global health connection in many, many ways. And that's the consequences of the conflict in Syria. Um, and we've been working with a simply fantastic team at the American University of Beirut um, to look at, the, at Syria and really recognize it not just as a, as a national crisis for the country or even a regional destabilizer, but actually a global um, crisis and uh, what that actually means um, and what we should do about it. And of course we're going to be doing our regular series of papers around the global burden and disease monitoring and reviewing progress in health. So it's going to be a good year to see some of those projects fulfilled. Of course, and the mass migrations of people doesn't seem to be a theme that's going away anytime soon. It's it's defined the last the last few years in you know in terms of the world news agenda mm. and there's no signs of that slowing down anytime soon. And what's, what I find so bizarre about this is that we have a government in the United Kingdom that says it wants to bring migration down to the tens of thousands, um, as if somehow migration is a force that can be turned off. Um, but as you say, migration isn't a force that can be turned off. In the history of human peoples, um, migration has always been a, a, a huge force at, at sometimes stronger, sometimes weaker. But at the moment, as we see these enormous global inequalities, we're talking today at the time that Oxfam has, has released a report illustrating um, just how profound those global inequalities uh, are. 42 people in the world have the same amount as, of wealth as 3.7 billion people. That's the extent of the inequality that Oxfam is documenting. When you have that, it is no wonder that people from poorer countries want to migrate where they will have and their families will have bigger opportunities. These are forces that are going to get worse, in a sense, rather than better, more powerful rather than less powerful. So, yes, and in fact, we do have a commission working on migration and looking at the health consequences of migration um, that is being that, that may be delivered in 2018, but um, is being led by a great team at University College London. So we talked earlier about the, the momentum arising from the, from the changing of the guard kind of in 2017 in global health. So what do you hope to see in 2018? I think in 2018, um, my hopes are that we can, and this really stems from what I said about in the United States and the United Kingdom, I want us to renew, and I hope this doesn't sound too idealistic, I want us to renew the spirit of cooperation in the world. Um, this idea of our interdependence, the idea that um, the problems we face are transnational, they are existential, and the only way that we can address them is by recognizing what we have in common with each other, not what, what separates us. 
Um, also, I think, I, I mean, I hear a lot of rhetoric. Um, you know, when you do social media, you see some of our global health leaders in photograph after photograph, shaking the hands of heads of state, making great statements about the importance of this issue or that issue. Um, and I applaud that advocacy, but we need to move from advocacy and rhetoric to action. Um, and I want to see concrete, um, specific proposals implemented in global health rather than just talked about. And then I think what, what uh, the, the third thing I would, I would like to see this year my, in terms of hopes is um, that countries take health more seriously. Um, I've been talking a lot about the global system, but actually health is only delivered in countries, uh, in communities. And still in, many, in so many countries, health is not seen as a priority. It's seen as somehow a cost um, that comes secondary or even worse than secondary in a government's agenda. And actually that's a misdiagnosis of the power of health. Health actually is a fantastic lever for economic growth as well as just improving the intrinsic well-being of your population. Employing health workers drives economic growth. Um, and so I hope that governments will take health more seriously by seeing what an enormous benefit it can be to their societies in many, many different ways. And you mentioned earlier, just finally, uh, the, the US, their central role in funding global health. Now, would you say that the world finds itself at a bit of a crossroads and what can it do to fill that funding gap? Yeah, so I think that um, the situation of the US at the moment um, is partly to do with money um, and the potential withdrawal from many multilateral initiatives where US investment has been so critical. And we, in some areas, countries have stepped up to fill the gap. If we take one example, um, when the global gag rule was introduced, um, again, uh, defunding any programs that mention abortion, um, other governments have stepped in to try and fill that void. The She Decides movement, uh, for example, has done an incredible job of, of challenging um, that loss of support. Uh, but there are other areas where I do worry. The USD funding, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, which provides health and education for over 5 million Palestinian refugees. I suspect that not many countries are going to come forward to fill that gap. So I do worry about the money. But you know, the, the area that I worry most about in the US is we really depend upon America's research, medical, and moral leadership in the in the world and that's what i'm concerned about that that and i'm not i'm not really talking about um the government here i'm talking about the self-censorship that might result from a community that feels battered and beleaguered and worried about the threat to their own survival and sustainability although i have been very again it's it's a, it's very interesting to see in adversity who stands out, and I and I do want to pay particular attention and praise, uh, give praise to the National Academy of Medicine led by Victor Zhao. Um, when President Trump came in, I know that the National Academy of Medicine was almost besieged with requests to be a stronger critic of the government, and Victor rightly 
um, didn't want to set himself up in opposition to the Trump administration. But over the past year, I've seen the Academy recognize what a serious um, predicament the country faces and America's role in the world faces. And their voice has been strengthening, and I think that's absolutely fantastic to see that. I wish we would see that at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. I wish we would see that kind of leadership at the National Institutes of Health. We need the medical and scientific communities, global health communities in the U.S., to unite um, to defend what is being so progressively attacked. Um, but I don't want to end on a I don't want to end on a negative note. Um, I I do want to be very very positive. I think that the science um, that we have at our fingertips today provides the most remarkable platform, not just for advocacy but for action. And so, I think the the thrill and it is a thrill to work uh, in an organisation like the Lancet where you can bring together the best scientists, the best research evidence, and use that as a lever, as a kind of instrument for political change. That's very, very exciting. And, and our goal really in 2018 is to build and extend that um, network of supporters to uh, provide that, that opportunity, that possibility for change. Well, I hope we'll be back here in 2019 discussing the success of that. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, today. Gavin. Appreciate it.